Hello and welcome to What We Talk About When We Talk About Tech, a podcast about tech storytelling and the words and narrative shaping the future. I'm Rich, you can follow me on Twitter at Rich G. Gaul, and I'm here with my co-host Jennifer as always. You can follow her on Twitter at JK Riggins. And in this week's episode, we're talking with Anna Litical, who is the sickeningly entertaining coding drag queen. Now, you might know Anna from their coding tutorials on YouTube, TikTok, Twitter and Instagram. Um, so we're going to talk to Anna a little bit about drag and about tech and about how to find new and interesting ways of teaching and learning tech. Yeah, we think you're going to really enjoy the conversation. But yeah, first off, let's introduce Anna. So thanks for joining us, Anna. Hi, how are you? Yeah, we're good. We're really excited to speak to you. So yeah, thanks yeah. for coming on the coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Maybe the best place to start is just to give you the chance to kind of introduce yourself, like who you are and what you do and that sort of thing. Sure. So, I mean, you you captured my um, <laughs> my untrademarked trademark, I guess. I'm, I am a software engineer and drag queen, and I create sickeningly entertaining and educational coding content and video tutorials and all sorts of fun examples. So um, I've been doing this for about two years in terms of making content. And I started making, I've made stuff on YouTube, on Instagram, on TikTok, on Twitter. Um, and I do it all to get more people who might not traditionally want to get engaged with tech or might not know about it to bring them into it. And I started it because I was looking for a way to engage more LGBTQ plus people in tech. That was something I was seeing a lack of. I'm gay. So I was like, where where are all these people? I want to make sure that they know tech is an option. I want to make it accessible for them and give them the tools that they can like enter into a career in tech. And that doesn't even necessarily just mean coding. But a lot of people really enjoy my content. So I say the more the merrier. And I think there are a lot of people who feel like left feel very left out in computer science classes or by just tech culture. So I'm happy I'm able to create a space where they can come and enjoy my content and feel seen. What is your technical background? Or what what is your journey in the tech industry? Tell us about it. So I have a fairly traditional entrance into it. I probably took my I took my first like real computer science class in my 11th grade in high school. And from there, I was like, okay, this is like something I'm really interested in and want to go for. And then I ended up um, going to college, looking for engineering colleges to go to. And I studied computer science and statistics there. And then I've been working in the tech industry for like six years now. <laughs> so I kind of had this like very kind of standard path. It's like start doing a little bit of computer science early on, then go to college for it and then go work in tech. But having that traditional path, I think has allowed me to look at these more non-traditional paths, which I actually, uh, maybe a few years ago, maybe five years ago, I may have thought differently, but seeing all the diversity in people's experience in coming into tech and also seeing the very little of my degree that I use day to day, I wanted to make sure that people know like, you don't need to go get a degree to code, you 
don't have to be a, be super great at math to learn how to code or to get a job um, that requires code. And one of them, it's like, there are obviously tons of code boot camps and tons of free resources to learn how to code online, which I love to recommend and help create content for. But even if you don't want to get a job as an engineer, even just learning to code can help you out in your day-to-day -day job potentially. There's so many opportunities to write scripts to automate things or make things faster, or you've got spreadsheets if you can learn how to do that and write a little bit of code in there to make it faster. It's like that could save you hours of work. And to be in tech, you don't have to do technical like Rich and I are tech. I always say I'm tech adjacent, even though I'm in the tech community. I've never coded in my life. The black screen scares me with the white letter. <laughs> well, um, I tried to, I made my, I made my black screen. I made it purple. I was like, I can oh. change the, change my terminal. I'll make it purple. have have uh, fun emojis in there. Although I need to update it on my new computer, but I have a whole video on just creating a glamorous terminal. It's like, that's one of the scariest things when you're learning to code, you're like, oh my God, I see all these people just typing in this like black box, all the green text. And I'm like, you can just make a purple if you want. <laughs> you were legitimately the first person that even told me that that can be done. And I write about deep tech and no one's told me blatantly that you could just make it a little brighter in your life. <laughs> <laughs> it still doesn't mean I'm out of time to do it, but at least I got rid of one less, <laughs> one more impetus. So how do you, when you talk about people with non-traditional backgrounds in tech, it comes up a lot, but HR and HR processes and LinkedIn and HR tools all filter for the four-year degree, which I totally agree. Like if you think of the life cycle for a textbook of how by the time it's actually written of something as modern as computer science, not like math, it's probably out of date. So I think boot camps or self-training or contributed open source projects can make you more, more modern and more accessible and use, useful. But how do people get past those constant gatekeeping traditional HR tooling that wants that four-year degree? I don't specifically know like how any information about like the kind of those filters and things like that. But I do know, like I have looked, started looking at some of the bootcamp statistics, and I do see that there is a lot of placement into big tech companies and startups. Um, I actually just made a, a video kind of advertising this um, this amazing bootcamp in Seattle. It's a very small cohort. I think their application time is done, but maybe good to look up for the future if you're a listener of this. It's called Ada, Ada Developer Academy, and it's a very intensive bootcamp, but they also guarantee you an internship. So there are definitely a variety of like bootcamps and some that have a very like high bar to get into and then can guarantee you things like an internship. Um, I also think a lot of the bootcamps can provide you tons of interview experience that I, I did not really get helpful prep from my college on that. But yeah, it's like the uh, boot camp is really going to give you those like hands-on skills that you might only get to take like one class on in a computer science curriculum. Like I had maybe one or two software engineering style courses and I wish I had so much more like hands-on experience because that was some of the most fun stuff. And there are very interesting computer science problems there. Like how do you set up a database and make it work for a variety of scales? How do you deal with tons of throughput and traffic and thinking about those interesting problems, um, which are very computer science 
focused. I think some of the gatekeeping, yeah, I think that can be that can be hard. I one thing I've seen is some people who have four-year degrees but maybe aren't in those degrees weren't in tech and then went and did a boot camp. I think that I've seen definitely those people get jobs. That I guess I don't know the um yeah, I guess that'd be an interesting number to look up and see. And also just I think talking about it as engineers or people who are in the tech space to being like this isn't something that's necessary and setting like a high bar for what a boot camp is going to teach and require you to know i think that can really change that landscape so we've talked a little bit about your journey into the tech industry i wanted to ask you about your journey into drag and like when that started for you and also sort of when these like two very different worlds collided or when you realized that you know you could sort of bring them together yeah, I started doing drag, I think it was in 2018. It might have been 2017. It's really hard to remember. It was around there, you know, <laughs> with this year, all time, it feels relative. I was kind of looking for a creative outlet. I did a bunch of theater in high school and music and loved getting to like perform. And I've always loved like stand-up comedy. Uh, so I was kind of seeing maybe that was something I wanted to do or improv. But then I started kind of going to just a few drag shows in my neighborhood and I'd been watching RuPaul's Drag Race. And I was just seeing these artists get to really take control of the entire performance. They are able to express themselves in a way they wanted to and create a whole show around them. And I was like, that sounds just very interesting. It's like, I can do anything with this. So I started out just kind of trying to do a few of those standard lip syncs. I picked a few songs, would dance around. I maybe made some mega mixes. I made like a Demi Lovato mega mix because huge, huge Demi Lovato fan. <laughs> and then I was trying to feel like, what is the unique thing that I can bring to this? What do I know a lot of? So I started thinking, maybe I can bring some elements of science into it or engineering. Um, like I did one performance where I brought like a drill and started like drilling pieces of wood together to spell out my name. Uh, I did one which was to um, like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory uh, when the violet blows up. Violet, you're turning violet. She turns into a giant blueberry. So I made a dress that could like inflate with baking soda and vinegar. Then when <laughs> didn't work out as well because there were like five, there were like gallons of liquid glued to my body basically. <laughs> but I was still feeling like trying to figure out how do I combine these things. And I and then maybe a few months after that, I was taking a little bit of a break and I was like, well, I was trying to combine science with drag, but that's not really what I do or what I'm good at. I'm very good at computer science and working with computers. And I'd recently switched teams at work to uh, a developer relations team. And a few of the people on my team did were doing live streams. They would do like coding interview questions or just live coding. And then it all kind of clicked. It was like, let me see what I can do just to get, and I guess this, and then it also kind of clicked. I was, there was a an opportunity for LGBTQ tech mentorship that I applied to, was pretty far in the process and didn't get because they told me that they didn't have enough people to mentor. So just everything kind of hit at once. And I was like, okay, let's just make a few videos talking about why people should get into tech, making like a simple website that's kind of fun and see where things go from there. And since then, it's just been like a rocket ship of content. <laughs> It's very the scientific method of iterating, getting feedback from people and from yourself. What has been your favorite video or look or impact? 
Yeah, I, it's very much the scientific method or it's very much like the lean startup method where you just like try and iterate. I think there are a lot of people around content creation or just coding get so intimidated and it's like, just you have to start because every part of the process is a thing to learn, not just like the center of it. So going through it over and over, I've gotten so much better at every single piece explaining things. And some of my favorite content, I think it's it's interesting looking back on some of my older content, which I loved. And now I'm like, oh, my quality is so much higher and I'm learning so much more. But I loved some of the some of the first websites I made were so fun. They basically assumed you had no coding knowledge and I would show you how to make some like very like web 1.0 websites where you'd have some images on the screen, maybe play some sounds, have things move around. And I used a bunch of popular drag queens and would post them onto Reddit and Instagram to try to get people to notice. And that was a fun way to get start getting people engaged and be like, oh, this is like a fun thing I can do. Um, some of my more uh, recent favorites are I've been explaining data structures and algorithms using makeup and just taking a physical thing and showing it to someone be like, this is an array. It's like, this is my eyeshadow palette. This is an array. Here's like how your data is going to look versus storing your data, storing my data in like another kind of way. And for me, that felt very natural. I was like, everyone must think of it this way, but I guess, I guess not. Or I guess like by me just saying it, then it becomes the obvious thing because I'm just making all these connections in my head to drag and makeup and sewing and creativity and all these things. It's like, I just see all these things all the time. So to me, they're all very interwoven. But for someone who has never coded before, they just see code as, you know, typing into that green and black terminal. And I'm like, code is this or code is this makeup palette or code is this creative website or I just created I, I in I just use CSS and HTML to draw an eyeshadow palette and people are like I didn't know you could do that with code I didn't know you could draw with code and it's like you can do anything with code on a screen and it's interesting it's like I took with that eyeshadow palette I was really happy with it because I was able to take something that is a technically complex thing so people who are technologists or web developers they can see it and be like wow that is extremely technically complex to do and difficult and and people who have never coded before can also see that and like be impressed and get engaged. So I love that that um, went through the whole spectrum of uh, stuff. It's one of the things often lacking to bridge that chasm they always talk about between business and tech is metaphors and examples. So I think that's great and very visual, which is really cool. Yeah, I love like having having visual examples. I love to learn from like a YouTube video. <laughs> so even on my team at work, I will make screencasts and YouTube and like upload them to like a YouTube for like a internal only and be like, just watch this video instead of reading this like five page doc. Um, it's just so much easier. Yes, it's like a video can go out of date quickly, but just the amount of time saved by showing someone how to do something. And there's so many little pieces that you get from that, especially now that we're remote, like seeing just like keep a keyboard shortcut perhaps, or seeing the way you have your screen laid out or seeing bookmarks. There are so many pieces of information you can get from a video that you don't get from reading like a guide or something. Yeah, and just to uh, like dig a bit deeper on that. So we, we've spoke to a few people recently about like the learning process and content, um, but I'm kind of wondering from your own experience, but also from the content you've made, like what do you think people sort of find really difficult when they start learning how to code? 
Well, it took me a while to learn how to code. I mentioned that like, I took my first computer science class and doing quotes as a podcast in 11th grade. And that was that was like the kind of the first time I was seeing more of like an object oriented language. But I in like probably fifth grade, I had done a class where we had like a little turtle and we would give a command to like run around the screen and draw stuff. And maybe in seventh or eighth grade, we were using Scratch to write a few programs. So I had been exposed to coding or some of these coding concepts before. But even though I knew that I'd seen some of these concepts, I still was extremely intimidated by code. I didn't really understand it. Um, and I didn't really understand how to like go to a career in it. So I think that's something I'm trying to bridge. I think there is very little like entertaining coding content. I think there's a lot of like entertaining tech content. Like I grew up watching iJustine who would do all these reviews of like MacBooks and iPhones and I'd love watching that. And I'd be like, wow, it'd be so cool to work on one of those one day or to work at like a company building tech that's used everywhere. And I didn't understand how to get there because I didn't understand how to like code something that felt real or how to access writing code. So one, I think one of the big barriers for that is obviously that understanding like that journey. So I'm trying to help bridge the gap for people. But then another thing is when you're learning code, you're learning, or you're in, if you're in intro computer science class, especially in college where they're gonna move a lot faster, you're learning syntax and you're learning the code concepts. So you're learning loops if statements, conditions, functions. So I think it can be really helpful to break that up. I think Scratch is a great way to do that. It's drag and drop coding. So you can really get introduced to all the coding concepts or all, all like the computer science concepts of control flow and variables and things like that. And then once you do start getting into the syntax, it's not as scary because you're like, okay, I'm just kind of translating these ideas over. Because really the hard thing is learning how to express some sort of set of steps in a way a computer can understand. So it's learning to think about what are these puzzle pieces I have. Uh, I also recommend it's like, just try learning to code a few times and then maybe go and take a computer science class. Like if you're nervous about do a computer science class, go and do uh, stuff on free code camp or Khan Academy or any of the other resources. Do that, go through that whole curriculum before your class and just relearn it in the class. I think there's not enough exposure to it. In math, it's like, I feel like we I learned negative numbers three times. It's like, you just they just kind of keep recovering the concepts early on. and with code, you need to just get exposed a few times before it kind of clicks for you. To be fair, math never clicked for me. So <laughs> I, because it was always taught the same way, typically by people that were naturally good at math, so they didn't have the empathy in teaching. So I like your idea of using different medium, different media to, you know, different platforms to teach people in different ways and different learning techniques, or maybe I just suck at math. That's also fine. Um, you I know, I a comment on that. I think I think I'm naturally good at computer science or naturally good at math. And I don't think that should be a hindrance for being a good teacher. I think you should understand various ways to explain things. I think you should understand various ways to um, express these interesting concepts because math, there are so many examples of 
beautiful math in nature and beautiful math in just our day-to-day -day lives that you can use to make examples more interesting or code and bring more nuance to it and fun examples. Like if you were a computer science teacher in high school and gave your assignments to your students of everyone, I want you to go out and find an example of an array. And then we'll look through them and we'll see if some are arrays, maybe some aren't, if there are different ways to do that. It's like, I really think that someone being good at a subject should not mean that they are bad at teaching it. Wow. Okay. I do not have those teachers that granted the, the <laughs> famous geometry teacher, because everyone would always fail. We had to watch the great escape. Well, we could and get for a quarter of our grade, talk about geometry in every part of that movie, the the World War II escaping from a Nazi camp movie, which saved my grade. <laughs> so that was a but in class, that was a paper on the side. But I love that these different ideas of ways of learning and engaging people, because that's kind of how we have to be, especially because we're used to having so much content and being able to pick and choose what works for us. How did you find out what works for you? You have I think you have profiles across all the social media. How did you find out what works for you? Or maybe Clubhouse is not the one for you if you're into video? Or how did you find what works for you and your audience? I do think everyone can find a way to use every platform. Like I think that's kind of the challenge of social media. I started out with YouTube because that's one of my favorite platforms. I love watching long form YouTube content. And that's also a great platform for showing code because you just have a little bit more screen real estate and you have a bit more time. But making a YouTube video for me is a little bit more of a process. Is it's just like you're editing longer videos, you're planning more out. So I think I think when COVID started about, I guess a year ago, I had a few YouTube videos and I think like my computer died. So I like lost a few of the ones I had edited. I was just kind of frustrated. And then I think I started just doing some live streams. I did them on YouTube and I've done some on Twitch. And that was just kind of a fun way for me to like try out some stuff. I did free code camp. I was like, I've been recommending this to people, but I haven't actually tried it out. So let me give it a go. And also just be someone if they want, if someone wants to try out free code camp, they can do it while I'm doing it and they can kind of follow along maybe hear some of my thoughts. So I like YouTube for kind of long form content showing code. Streaming is really fun. I'm actually moving in a month. So I'm excited that I'm going to have another room so I can have like my camera set up and can hopefully do more live streams, which I'm very excited about. Then Twitter, I've really loved just because it's a great way to aggregate a lot of my content. Um, there are a lot of tech people on there. So it's a I think there are a lot of pockets of Twitter, um, which are different, but I'm kind of in like a fun tech and memes and, and some gay Twitter too. <laughs> and it's a, just a great way I can share um, videos and stuff. And then TikTok, I, re I really just started TikTok in October. I've been hearing a lot about it. I was was I kind of I was like I have some friends that make TikToks and I was like let me just browse some stuff and see what I'd want to do I guess I think I made some like early on and I was like this isn't for me I don't really get it but then I was like I need, I want to start making content again like I haven't done anything it's only a minute let's see what I can do and that really made things work for me because I was able to script out my videos since scripting out something that's a minute is a lot easier than planning out a whole video Sure. Then um, I was able to just like knock out a few in a row. 
And there's a lot of organic growth on TikTok. Like you don't have to have a following. You can kind of just post something and if it's good quality, people will see it. And then it's also really great for sharing on Twitter or on LinkedIn. It's like TikTok is great for just sharing on other platforms. I'm actually working. I just sent a, like a document out internally to some of my coworkers on like how to create technical content for TikTok. And it's not even, it's like you don't even have to follow any of the memes or the sound effects. Even if you just record a video on TikTok, that's you talking to a camera, throw some captions on it and then share that to LinkedIn. That can do really well for you and is a great way to bring more personality to any of your content or get people to like maybe read a blog post you've written and then instagram this is kind of my <laughs> instagram is kind of the my my achilles heel at the moment but i'm re i'm rebranding i mean not really rebranding i'm just trying to engage with it more i think now that i'm really comfortable with a few of these other platforms i'm, I'm saying okay how can i bring some of those things that i'm saying or some of those videos i'm making over to instagram and have more like a holistic platform i got i get very intimidated by instagram as a drag queen because people host these extremely polished photos of themselves which i just don't have the resources to do right now i don't have the room i don't have the outfits right now i mean hopefully I will be serving some amazing code looks in the next year or so, but I'm kind of figuring, I kind of figured it out. I'm like, I'm going to post some of my tweets on here. I figured out how to get my TikTok videos over. And now as I'm posting new videos, I'll be able to post it on both platforms. And then I really like the stories feature of it since it's a great way to like in interact with people. Um, and I love the voice memoing feature um, in DMs. It's just it's so much easier for my thumbs than typing. <laughs> Twitter really needs to get on the um, voice memo DMs. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, actually. I wanted to also ask you, um, so you mentioned gatekeeping earlier, and I know a lot of your tutorials are often kind of front end and design, maybe not exclusively, but I wanted to ask you about these kind of, this sort of gatekeeping that goes on in the industry and this sort of bizarre sort of hierarchies that sometimes are in place in terms of different skills and different types of skills. I was wondering if, if you'd sort of observe this and what your sort of thoughts were about it. So I've kind of worked on, in my like, industry experience, I worked on a front-end team and now I work in developer relations, which is more back-end than front-end, but there's also a like a communications aspect to it. I think as a front-end engineer, I felt some pressure to kind of justify the difficulty of the work a little bit more or to express that there are all these moving pieces to it versus a backend engineer who might be able to just point to a bunch of numbers showing how much faster they made something or that they've introduced this new feature. But I think I, I was on a team that really supported that work. It was a bunch of front-end engineers working uh, in a cloud space. So we kind of set the bar for like, here is our process. We're gonna be working with user experience designers and researchers. We're gonna be working with technical writers. We're gonna work really closely with the product managers. And having that cross-functional experience, I really like. And helped, and I think that's something with engineering that you think you're just going to go and write code all day, but that's not the case. If you don't have the skills to work with a variety of different people and collect requirements and think about all the different possibilities that could happen in an application with these people and express your thoughts clearly, then you're not going to be a great engineer. 
And that was something that I really took away from uh, from being on that team. I I had always had some sort of interest in going into like a product management role because I was like, oh, there's so much investment in the product and so many interesting problems to think about. And those problems are actually very present in engineering roles, and uh, they can they definitely can be more present or less present depending on on that role. And now in developer relations, I'm kind of I kind of view myself as like a way to like break some of that barrier to entry. So like I read a lot of tutorials and code samples and it's my job to be the zeroth person, the zeroth user of a product, basically try it out, try out a tool before someone's going to use it and run into an issue. So it's an extremely challenging thing because I'm basically trying things that are very difficult and then the piece of content I write for it is to make it look as easy as possible. So it's a really interesting, interesting challenge. And I'm actually, I work on this like huge database that I've never gotten to, that I've never had like real experience using on like a serving application. So I have to come up with ways to like generate loads for it and to come up with interesting schemas for it. And it allows me to talk to people who do use it and talk to the engineers that built it. And I get to ask really cool questions. So as for, Gatekeeping, I suppose, and talk, and thinking about design. I think I've probably worked in two roles that don't necessarily fall under like the maybe the most hardcore engineering traditionally, but I don't think I, my work has was viewed in that regard. Maybe those are some feelings that I had, but I think there is a ton of complexity there and so many interesting problems solved. Even with front-end engineering, with all these web frameworks right now, you're building full like object-oriented web apps and there's so many pieces and components and things to manage. It's These are not like, you're not just throwing some HTML and jQuery on the page, although shout out to jQuery. There's like a whole ecosystem you need to know. And test your code. Test your code everywhere. <laughs> That's a message. That's a message I've got. That actually brings me on to something that I wanted to ask you earlier. Uh, and it's actually something you talked about in a video, I think, where you drew a parallel between sort of doing drag and software engineering. I was wondering if you could talk a bit about yeah, that a little bit more for people listening. Sure. So I think the way I see the world, I see all these things around me, I see them as one. I mentioned this with the makeup and code and all these things. So I think drag is just another thing that I view as engineering. With drag, it's kind of a high category of a variety of parts. So there's makeup, there's maybe sewing, maybe wig styling, and um, just creating art. And I see so many drag queens working on very tight budgets on with very limited materials. And I think that's very similar to engineering. They solve problems in creative ways. It's like, okay, I've got some cellophane and garbage bags. Like how can I make an outfit that looks like it should be on the runway? And someone who can take things like that and create in that way, I think that's a very similar to skill to what you need in engineering. It's as I mentioned, if you look at Scratch, those are very clearly puzzle pieces that you put together to create a program. And I view taking some odd materials and creating a garment or even just taking like fabric and sewing an outfit and coming up with a creative outfit. It's these are all pieces and tools. And I want to show people that these tools are there's first of all, there aren't even so many tools. It's like there's like four loops you call a function and API and like maybe an if statement. It's like there are so many pieces that you can put together in interesting ways. And I just want to show people what those interesting ways are and then see what they can do beyond that. Do you ever hear back from your viewers or your audience and hear what they've built? What's some exciting thing that they've achieved with you? I've had, 
I mean, I've gotten so much amazing feedback from people who watch my videos. There are people around the world that will tell me that maybe they stuck out in their computer science program and they like they kept with it because of my videos, or maybe they were in intro computer science and they kept with it, or maybe they weren't sure if they were even going to sign up for that class and did because they felt confident just from some of my videos. I've seen one of the first TikToks I made. I was dancing in my very small apartment to a song. I was showing different kinds of for loops. I was like, I'll wave my arm three times. That'll be a like a standard for loop. Then I'll do like one where I'm like on the floor moving, and that's like while well, true. So like I never end up getting up or something. <laughs> and an entirely like, computer science class had that as a homework assignment to like create a dancing video using different for loops. So, like that was awesome. Uh, like I love getting to see. I love seeing teachers pull from some of my content because I I think there are definitely gaps in my content. If you were to fully learn how to code, I view my content as kind of adding more rungs to the ladder of climbing up the journey to feeling competent as an engineer. And I think people who are teaching computer science have a bit more a bit more of the rungs and merging merging the two. I think is a really wonderful uh, wonderful thing. Those are the ones that are standing out to me, I think, right now. <laughs> Although I kind of pulled inspiration from someone recently. I When I made my CSS eyeshadow palette, I pulled inspiration from Sarah Fostheim, who uh, they are a creator of a fabulous CSS art. And I was like, this is so cool. I want to like take this and put my own twist on it. So I love finding my own inspiration in tech and finding people who are inspiring me with amazing like technical content as well. I wouldn't have thought to do that sort of thing without their work. Work, and I definitely wouldn't have been able to do it without uh, some of the tips that they provided. Yeah, that's a good answer. And I wanted to sort of, as we kind of come to the end, uh, ask you what you're sort of looking forward to for the next year, like what you're hopeful for, um, yeah, over the next 12 months or so. I mean, really, my new apartment is something I'm very looking forward to, just having space to keep my drag and recording stuff ready and behind a door. I think it will allow me to create more content and um, just kind of build more of a regular cadence, which is something that it's hard for me to find. Like I'm working a full-time job and doing all of this. So I like to, I have to take care of myself too. So I think that will be, that will be a wonderful thing for my life. And in terms of content, uh, right? I think that one of the big things I'm looking to get, I'm looking to get back into my YouTube content creation. I think I probably want to start out by doing some lead code questions, some interview prep. I think that there are so many interview questions. And I think that's something that's very intimidating, even to me. So I think showing me solving some of those problems, talking about them, I think that'll be great. Um, and I think that's something I can get a variety, like a number of, of videos out of, which would be great just because I wanna start posting back on there regularly. And I've got some amazing conferences coming up. I'm doing a keynote at OpenJS World, um, which is really exciting for me since that's like one of the largest conferences I've gotten to do. And it's not um, LGBTQ centric. I've done a lot of conferences that are very like LGBTQ, which I love because it's it's like, that's definitely my target demographic. But for me to bring what I'm doing to such a large forum for JavaScript is also crazy. Uh, and I'm doing what I did. I, I did at this hackathon last uh, January helped out. I did I did a keynote for them uh, called Queer Hacks. And it's the, one of the first, I think it's the first major league hacking uh, hackathon at a university. And there were 200 students building tech for LGBTQ plus people. So 
I just want to kind of continue on. I think I've got something good going on. I want to create more. I want to refine my process more. I want to get some looks. That's something that I'm looking forward to making some outfits that also combine the tech and the code and bring the concepts and elevating it again to another aspect of drag that I'm very excited to explore. If I may place a request, this is a first time, but when you're looking at doing interviews and talking about interviews I think you and Cassidy Williams would be like a powerhouse pairing with videos since Cassidy on Twitter does all these really fun dynamic videos too about teaching people how to do tech interviews so it would be a really fun dynamic Mm, yeah I should talk to Cassidy about that that would be fun we like we could interview each other or something super fun this came to me so you don't have to answer it but um as a question but there's Uh, When we're recording, this is April 15th, 2021, I think the year is now. And there's a lot of disturbing laws happening in the U.S. and parts of the U.S. uh, specific around uh, diminishing gender affirming rights for trans kids and just a lot of anti-trans, anti-LGBTQ backlash. Are there resources they should be looking at now that they can find joy in coding? that like, especially the average high school student in the US that is feeling a bit abandoned. I mean, obviously my content, I think also like, I think one thing I've seen a lot of on Twitter and in my experience working in tech is that there are a lot of LGBTQ plus people in tech. And I think a lot of those people in tech are have very positive experiences and feel very welcomed on their team. I think there are including myself, I think there are definitely some places where that might not be the case. But from what I've seen and what I've heard, especially like in San Francisco and New York, which are kind of some of the big tech hubs, there's so much acceptance. And one of the things that I like to encourage LGBTQ people getting into tech is that there are so many amazing benefits. Like, yeah, there's like a, a LGBTQ homelessness is a major issue. And tech salaries are some of the top in the like in the world and having healthcare benefits that can help you out if you're a trans person or just need a variety of health needs if you need therapy even you know um so i think that's that's one of the reasons that i like to advocate for tech it's like there are so many amazing things that can come out of it that can really help you out i have some people on my team it's like two people two queer people on my team we were talking and it's like they both grew up very poor and we're talking about how they were like i was like oh, I can now go to the dentist now because I've got like dental insurance and even just remember to like go get their vision checked. And it's like, it's so amazing to see that tech has been able to like bring them these things. Like, yeah, sure. We should definitely like get the country to a better place and give more resources to these people. But I'm, I like that I can show an option for people if they have enough of the resources to like start getting into tech or at least like, here's like a pathway potentially. And there are plenty of like coding bootcamp scholarships even, or like I mentioned, the Ada Developers Academy, uh, which is for women and people who are um, gender diverse. And I'm sure there are plenty of other bootcamps. I I need to like gather a full list of uh, resources, like scholarships and things like that. But I really think there are a lot of resources out there. And maybe if there aren't, then like, let's talk about that and figure out how we can get more. Awesome, great answer. Cool. So that's pretty much everything. But finally, have you got anything you would like to promote and where can people find you online and that sort of thing? You can find me on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram with the same username, The Analytical. 
Uh, it's two N's in Anna. And then on YouTube at uh, youtube.com slash analytical, or you could just you could just search analytical and I'll probably come up. And yeah, look forward to a bunch of my new TikToks. I'm doing, I'm continuing to do various coding lessons on there, but also I've been talking a little bit more about the industry of tech and just different ways, different resources that there are if you're trying to learn how to code and um, doing some reviews of them and talking about some women in computer history, talking about the LGBTQ people in computer history, which is very enlightening for me since I was not very good at history uh, in school. It's funny, it's like I'm doing for history for myself what I had to do with code for other people. It's like make it history in a way that it's interesting for me. Like, oh, I can learn, I can read a little bit of Wikipedia about the amazing women women in tech and learn their learn the history around that it's like I, I, I can I can get through some reading for that yeah so I've got that those are the things I'm working on right now thank you this was awesome thank you so much Anna it was great yeah, to thank meet you. both of you after you know seeing you on Twitter it's always funny since there are so many people I talk to on Twitter and have a few regulars kind of every now and then like I've gotten to meet some people are in person and now it's, a, it's just nice to put more faces and names, moving faces, I suppose, rather than just thumbnails. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's pretty much everything for this week. All that's left is for me to thank Anna for joining us on the episode and thank you for listening as well to what we talk about when we talk about tech. To listen to earlier episodes, please visit our website, which is talkabouttechpodcast.com. And remember as well to follow us on Twitter. You can find us at underscore talkabouttech. But we'll be back next time with another guest. In the meantime, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter. Get in touch with either myself or Jennifer. I'm at Rich G. Gould, of course. And Jennifer is at JK Riggins. We're always happy to talk to people, take suggestions. If someone wants to be a guest, of course, happy to discuss that. Um, But yeah, we'll be back next time. Anyway, in the meantime, thanks for listening and goodbye.